You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 366, the sport of shouting at politicians in Downing Street or on the White House lawn, ice lolly wars and outdoor festival gigs. Is it more fun to go local? That's all coming up after the kinks and sunny afternoon.
Well, we know that many people don't listen to our podcasts in the week we record them. Sometimes people listen mm. to them months, even years later. So if you're listening to this in the middle of a long, cold winter, uh, feel free to <laughs> shake your fist at me because here in the UK right now, it's, oh, it's been incredibly hot. And it has. has been for weeks and weeks. Um, so this somehow seemed appropriate. Um, number one in the UK, actually, in the glorious summer of 1966, England won the World Cup. And mm. I've noticed, you know, also in the... Um, the top 20, the UK top 20 in July 1966, when this was number one, Beach Boys Sloop John B, Mamas and the Papas Monday Monday, mm. Beatles Paperback Writer, Holly's Bus Stop, I can Tina Turner, River Deep Mountain High. So that's really not a bad run, is it, really? That's, that's a reasonable selection of music. <laughs> but at number one, The Kinks and Sunny Afternoon. Yeah, what what a what a set. That's amazing. Mm. Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 366. I'm Terence Dackham. And well, I ha- I have to say this in that that sort of simpering voice that John Cleese has when he's trying to suck up to nobility in <laughs> oily sort of voice. So here we go. <laughs> well, it's always a sunny day when she's here. It's Juliet Harris. Thank you. I'm actually a hotel inspector, it turns out. So, yes, <laughs> thank you very much. Hello. Exactly. Um, Jules, at, mm. uh, at Premiership and Champions League football matches, there's an area set aside called the Mixed Zone, mm. where journalists wait for hours behind barriers until the players emerge from their changing rooms. And the players are, are heading for their bus to ferry them back to their hotel or the airport or wherever. And the idea being that this mix zone enables the journalists to get quick quotes from the players as they pass by. But such is the paranoia these days that the majority of footballers shove on their huge, oversized headphones, pull down their baseball caps, and stare straight ahead, making no eye contact contact at all, and and, and heading straight for the bus. Now, the political equivalent of this manoeuvre is the few moments... President Trump is heading for the helicopter from the White House, or Theresa May emerges from a car in Downing Street, and you then hear uh, the, the, the often familiar voices of well-known journalists shouting out mm. questions like, are you going to jail, Mr President? Or are you going to sack Jeremy Hunt, Prime Minister? <laughs> and it's all to no avail, because just like the footballers, no response is ever forthcoming. It's, it's all a bit of a pointless charade. Well, and yeah, so having said that, we seem to have got here, I think, because, and I think that this particular government is the case in point, although it has been worsening for, for, for a while, but people don't want to answer questions anymore. And actually, we it was interesting, and, and I know that you know some listeners might not be a particular fan of Tony Blair and the new Labour government from 97 to 2000, and, well, it was him until 2007, wasn't it? And then it was Gordon Brown after that. But when I was um, on, I think I was due to go, I was on, on my way on to holiday, I think a year or two ago, and it was when the um, the, the Chilcot inquiry, or the Iraq inquiry, finally gave its report. And, of course, as a result of which, Tony Blair had a sort of question and answer session on that day. And I remember reading, I think it was Stephen Bush, one of the New Statesman journalists, tweeted something along the lines of, we've just been in this presser with, uh, with Tony Blair. And they said it was like the golden days of new labor in downing street which for all that they were attacked for spinning mm. when they had press uh, conferences with journalists which they had press conferences with journalists they um 
they would answer all the questions until all questions had been answered. And they would often take ages and ages and ages to the point where Stephen Bush was saying, I am now late for the thing that I am going to next because they have taken so many questions and answered them all. And actually, there was what he was basically saying was this is a contrast to what we are dealing with now. And the Theresa May kind of premiership at the at, uh, 10 Downing Street does seem to be particularly closed. They don't seem to work, particularly as, as things worsen for them. They don't seem to want to answer any questions at all. If they don't have proper uh, press conferences, if not many of those take place, if you know, we, we never hear from Theresa May. We hear from no. the, the infamous number 10 spokesman who is uh, a, a, an interesting guy. I feel I know more about the number 10 spokesman than I do about <laughs> Theresa May some weeks. Um, but um, So so if, if, if that's what you, how you want to play it, fine. But this is why we are then reduced. And I admit that the, I agree that the spectacle of uh, people like Laura Koonsberg shouting at, at, at people as they're getting into cars mm. is unedifying. But having said that, that's why we're sort of here, really. And it seems that every time that Theresa May has actually given a TV interview or done a press conference, particularly these deadly question and answer sessions with members of the public, during which we, we this week we learned that that particular poll, they tried to they tried to present the human face of Theresa May, and bless her, that never ends particularly well, does it? We we didn't we didn't have the running in fields of wheat this time, but we did have um, her saying that one of her favourite hobbies was cooking, because the benefit of that is that you then get to eat it so yes thanks for that Pearl um so so I I am I admit that I mean so so it is difficult that I mean, I'm thinking of a comparison. You might remember a character from the 90s, a comedy character that was played by Paul Kay called Dennis Penis. God, yes. And, and he used to be, he sort of had this, he, he started to come to fame because he had this shtick of pretending to be a reporter. And he would often ask either deliberately ignorant <laughs> or quite entertaining, quite, or, or quite unpleasant pointed questions at people. And when he first started, was it on The Word or something like that? Or, or I one think of the, it was, wasn't or, it? Yes. Or, or, or the thing that they had on B. BBC Two that was like the word but not I think it might have been the Sunday show or whatever one of those Janet Street Porter type things yeah when it started off it was really funny it was almost like Mrs Merton except sharper in (laughs) the in that he would you know he would he would take these people in people wouldn't realize who he was and they and and celebrities would sort of you know good naturedly go up to be interviewed by him and he'd be horrible to them or just (laughs) ignorant but gradually as time went on people got wise to him and I remember seeing an interview with him on telly once where he basically said I had to stop doing it in the end because I was reduced to basically shouting at people from 10 yards away at film premieres and in a way that's kind of where we've got to with certain political journalists here because because you know that we have to have we have to hold politicians to account we have to have the media that can hold politicians to account there's a, a worrying trend at the moment from both ends of the political spectrum of constantly criticizing major news outlets like the BBC I don't think the BBC do everything correctly but having said that you know, the, the idea that you know all the evil MSM. It's like, uh, we need them. For a functioning democracy, yes, you can criticise that they might not be uh, carrying out that function very well, but we need them. And and just because they're not carrying out the function in the way that you want them to, doesn't mean that they're not, really. So so that's why mm. I'm sad to see people like Laura Cornsberg having to shout this, although I have to say... It, it, I mean, there have on the morning after the general election, it was quite funny, and also you know, testament to, to, to Laura Koonsberg's energy. I, I seriously don't know whatever that woman is having for breakfast. I want some of it. She'd done. She'd been out and about all day. She'd been up 
all night on the Dimbleby election special on BBC One. Mm. So she'd been, and and you know, we noticed there was a slight, uh, there was you know, there was a part of her hair was starting to visibly kind of slide by about <laughs> five a.m. But she was doing really well. She was still sharp as anything, and she's been up all night and you think that you know that's the end of her shift and then of course once Theresa May eventually right, arrives outside Downing Street at about quarter to ten the first person at the front of that cavalcade of dog was looking much like an ex well, well no before that they said to her about 7am on the BBC so will you be going to Downing Street Laura and you think she any normal person would go oh look sod off I've been up all night mate and she, she goes oh yeah I am and she was like an excited child and needless to say at quarter to ten in the morning when Theresa May gets out of the car the first person in the front of that row shouting Mrs May will you be resigning Mrs May it's Laura Kunzberg and to be fair that was a relevant question at quarter to ten on the morning after the general election so so in a way that was quite entertaining although maybe I was just knackered by that point because I'd been up all night but still um, uh, yeah so I have some sympathy yeah it doesn't look great to the shouting at people in the road but how have we got to that state where that's where it feels like that's the only viable way of being able to hold people to account well you see i was looking at the other the other side of all this and i'm not Mm. convinced that people generally like the attack dog approach of journalism that some interviewers believe will make their name and that you know, polit- that's the, what politicians fear the most. Is, is about five years ago, when Eddie Mayer stood in on the Mar show uh, on the BBC, many and many writers and, and people on social media were sort of lauding Mayer for his tenacious questions of Boris Johnson, for whom I've got no time, as we know. But Im- immediately the reaction tends to be along the lines of, oh, Eddie Mayer sure gave Boris Johnson a hard time, which may excite journalists and a few hundred people on Twitter like me. But... I suspect many, if not most people, end up sympathising with the politician because they're suddenly transformed into the underdog, the challenger rather than the champion. And we tend, I think, as a people, we tend not to like uh, bullies and this kind of relentless, very personal questioning. (coughs) I think it often comes across as aggressive rather than inquisitive. So perhaps... On a human level, we can understand why the mix zone in sport and politics is a failure. But, of course, none of it helps us, as you rightly said a minute ago, none of it helps us gain any sort of clarity, let alone um, enabling debate. And, of course, we're the poorer for that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And and I and, and now I do agree with you on the point about the aggressive interviewing. Um, so, you know, I've basically given up on Radio 4 today because mm. because John Humphreys just never achieves anything because he interrupts people before they before they finish speaking. He doesn't do that consistently. I don't think I think there are signs that he does that with certain people from certain parties, not with some people from other parties. And also, I was particularly and uh, frustrated is the word, I think, at the moment. And I know lots of people. that have lots of problems with Sarah Sands' editorship of Radio 4 today at the moment for different reasons. There are some people that have problems with the fact that she's widened its kind of soft coverage. I'm not bothered about that so much, um, although that's usually the bit that I get because I'm I'm driving into work at about half eight, so usually I start to get... But then, you know, all news, BBC Breakfast is the same. If you want the real news, you watch it before half eight. If you want to see Donny Osmond talking about his latest tour of regional theatres, you watch it before, you know, between half eight and quarter past nine that's just how it is but I have I have an issue in that Sarah Sands gave an interview recently in which she was quoted as saying that 
it's appalling, really, and I don't know if she was misquoted, but the gist of it seemed to be that Michelle Hussein and uh, um, not Sarah Montague, uh, Martha Carney, and basically the female presenters from Radio 4, um, from Radio 4 Today, mm. they were better on the fashion things and John Humphreys oh, yes. was better on, on grilling. And it's actually, the thing that really makes me question her editorial skills here is not that it is, you know, regressively sexist, but because it's wrong. It's not right. John Humphreys is terrible at interviewing people now and actually Michelle Hussein is the one that tends to get to the heart of the matter it was her that that made Boris Johnson look appalling in the run-up to the previous election because she said at one point can you please stop talking because he kept talking over and he's (laughs) and and you know like he is and tried to basically laughed at her and she just kept going and it was him that looked like the div not her and and I I I agree with you that, that that sometimes you know it is can be all heat and no light. But actually, I quite enjoyed that Eddie Mayer interview with Boris Johnson. Mm. The one, so I think when he said he was a nasty piece of That's work, right, yeah. because he held him to account in a mm. way that nobody never had. He asked him uncomfortable, difficult questions. Now I don't think I think people should ask uncomfortable, difficult mm. questions. I don't think John Humphreys does it in the right way because he hectors without actually asking a question. He just makes himself sound like a complete idiot most of the time. He sounds ill-informed. But <laughs> I, but I like the fact, and it's true. But I like, I like the fact that you know we have to have people asking these tough questions. And actually, one of the best interviews in recent years was Emily Maitlis interviewing Theresa May just after Grenfell on uh, on Newsnight because Emily Maitlis was clearly angry, possibly the angriest you've ever seen because she was, and actually it's worth listening to the Fortunately podcast edition where uh, and Glover, uh, sorry, Glover and Garvey interviewed her because they were sort of asking her about it and she was explaining that, you know, it's her local neighbourhood and that she actually went down and helped on the ground for two or three days and only reluctantly really got involved for work as she put it. And and actually, that interview is really powerful because although she is angry, she she just, you know, she's not aggressively shouty. She's just asking the questions that need to be asked, really, and needed to be asked at that stage. And when they asked her how she if she was angry with Theresa May on this podcast, she said, I felt a bit sorry for her, actually. She was completely spent. Yet she was still able, despite feeling, you know, sympathetic, Emily Maitlis was still able to do a really good, really powerful interview. So, so I think there's definitely... If we are saying that politicians want to dodge being interviewed, uh, being interviewed in depth because they can't deal with it, fine. It's not very nice to be shouted at in the street, but you know you've got to be held to account somehow. So you know if you're saying that you would rather it be this way, then okay, then we'll just all have to deal with that unedifying spectacle. Yes, yes, indeed. Now it's been, as we were saying, hot, hot, hot. So olay, mm, olay, indeed. Yeah. Coming next, ice lolly wars. <laughs> right after Lee Dorsey. Ride your pony. Get on your pony and ride. All right, that new. Hey, hey. Ride your pony. Get on your pony and ride. Oh, you're riding high. Now stay in the
I'm a fan of Lee Dorsey. I think he's excellent. I'd, I've heard of working in a coal mine in the back room of a pub about 10 years ago and never looked back. I was going to delight audiences at the Beatwave Festival last weekend, during which I managed to do four sets somehow um, by playing that record, only impeded by the fact that I left it on the top of my stereo at home. But uh, So I hope we can all enjoy it together now. I do like that. Lee Dorsey and Ride Your Pony. I remember the Clash used to play uh, Lee Dorsey's work. Oh, in did the they? Mine. Yeah, it, on, well, in their pre-gig tapes. Oh, okay. You know, when, when, the, when yeah. you're waiting for the band to come on, and yeah, they used to play that. Um, yeah, it's fascinating that he came. Lee Dorsey came from an age when achieving uh, a run of hit records didn't equate to winning the lottery. Because mm. I, I, when I was researching, when I saw you, you, you chose that, I was researching and saw that when the hits dried up, he simply went back to running his car repair business in his garage. So, um, you know, these days you'd be on Big Brother and Love Island and whatever for life after you've had a couple of hits, but he had to go back to... um to repairing people's gearboxes. <laughs> well, I am sorry because you had some great tunes. <laughs> back in the back in the nineteen sixties, when I was a small boy, there was much less choice in consumer products mm. right across the board. There were no supermarkets when I was little, and stores didn't have much space. Breakfast cereals—you you just either either had cornflakes or porridge. That was that was it, really. There were no other choices for bread. Pretty much the same, either Mother's Pride or Hovis nothing else and lollies and ice cream followed the same pattern in the 60s with a there was a very definite class um and status war between the two brands yes every sweet shop began to find room for a little mini freezer uh, that you had to sort of stick your arm into to get your choice out and it was sponsored by one of the two big brands uh that you would delve in and uh, find this ice lolly of a choice um the thing is though your heart would sink Rather, if you entered the sweet shop and saw the Lion's Maid branding for ice cream and lollies, Lion's Maid was the sort of cheaper, not so cheerful brand, kind of down market, maybe the Joey Barton of lollies. Um, <laughs> the, the branding you, you wanted to see was Walls. 
Here, the ice cream was somehow creamier. Uh, the ice mm. lollies were more desirable with brighter colours, more upmarket wrappers. Walls was the Champions League of lollies, leaving lines made as a sort of Evo stick Ryman's League. <laughs> now, in the hottest of all week, Jules, um, hottest of all weeks, you've been on an ice lolly quest. I have been on an ice lolly quest, yes. So I do have a wall. I have a t-shirt that I sometimes wear in bed. Oh, I used to wear it running, and now it, doesn't that sum up my trajectory? I used to wear it running, <laughs> now I wear it in bed. Um, it came from uh, Asda, I think, or other supermarkets are available, and it has various walls lollies on the front of it, oh, which no. I'm very fond of because uh, I grew up on walls lollies. I, I, you know, they they were excellent, and and most of them still are. I say most of them because there was one particular brand of, of lolly and i'm pretty sure it was made by walls it's on this this t-shirt that i saw it the other day and i thought you know i haven't had one of those for ages i wonder if you can still get them they were called zap lollies and i'm not sure if you're familiar with them they they were they were um uh, they were a um, they were sort of a triangular shaped, although they were flat. Um, that were multicoloured, and they had a sort of a a, a fruity flavour. Um, and they were they were basically they looked almost psychedelic. So they were sort of blue and pink and green, and and the taste of them was just lovely. I can taste it now if I think about it. And I and I thought I wonder if you can still get zap lollies. So I went on. What turned out to be quite an extensive and doomed quest through the oh. bowels of the internet to see if you could still get zap lollies. And I, um, if, if ever, if one phrase when I googled it summed up the odd place in which we find ourselves, zap lolly is on Facebook. So I thought, is this a person? Is this a, is this a brand? What is this? So I went onto Facebook and searched for zap lollies. I did not find where to find Zap Lollies. However, I did find the following. I found um, people that have painted their, their fingernails in tribute to the colouring of Zap Lollies. <laughs> um, I managed to find um, a drink that was flavoured like Zap Lollies. Um, I found a flavour of vaping liquid that was tasted oh, like Zap Lollies. Oh. Um, I found someone that had baked a cake in tribute to Zap Lollies. Someone that had named their cat Zap after Zap Lollies. Um, uh, various things, but no Zap Lollies. I then went on to... I thought, I'll Google this properly and see if I can buy them anywhere. So I then, you know, did some more extensive Googling. So this is where I appeal to the listenership of uh, of the of the Rocking Vicar uh, mm-hmm. podcast, Parish Council. Does any, the parish councillors, everybody, does anyone want to come in with me to buy some <laughs> Zap Lollies? Because you can buy them. Oh. You can still buy them from ice cream vans, which means you have to buy them wholesale from caterers. So I went on to this website that said, okay, you can buy a box of 30 for 17 okay that's fine 17 pounds 30 dollars that's not unreasonable the minimum order is six units which (laughs) means that effectively i will be paying and i work this out i'll be paying 102 pounds for 180 zap lollies so there's anybody out there who like me fondly remembers zap lollies and would like another one um then you know do please send a postal order to the usual address and if we get enough interest and we have enough freezer space i think we can do this if you stored them yourself, you'd have to have like six freezers in your sitting room. You'd have to have a chest freezer. I was I went to do a record shop the other day and found people talking about chest freezers. I think because it was so hot and people saying that they we said you can tell if you're if you're a proper person, you still refer to Iceland as Beejams. 
Oh yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so so yeah. So if anybody would like to start their own home-based bee jam with me, um, I would very much like to have these lollies again. I've picked my top three lollies. Of well, I'm glad time. you've entered into the spirit of this. Yeah, <laughs> one is more um, ice cream on a stick, but they're all retro. They're all from the 1960s and mm. onwards. I think. I think a couple of them are still available today. Um, none of my three are by the less loved Lions May brand. Um, but you know that mm. what was awkward when I was little that that was the. Um, all the two shops nearest us had was Lions Made. So if we wanted walls, um, we had to go all the way around to the shop by the railway station, which mm. was, you know, a bit of a, bit of a drag, really. Um, so in third place, I've got Walls Orange Fruity, which was mm. essentially... I used to have those, yeah. Oh, lovely frozen orange squash on a stick, yes. essentially. Be- before I was aware of my allergy to all things orange, actually, I was very fond of those. It tasted very sugary and very mm. chem- very chemically. Yes, as, as that, all lollies should, as they well, should. They are not a health food. Exactly. That was the joy of sweets and lollies back then. It was all the chemicals, those lovely mm. E numbers. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> bless uh, those E numbers. They get such yeah. a bad press. Lions made, they had an inferior orange maid affair, which mm. even the, the wrapper looked anemic. Um, in second place, um, and I think still available, Wall's Feast. Yes! Oh, that, that, this is the ice cream on a stick that I was talking about. And it was coated. Mm. I know it was, it, it, well, it was thick chocolate and it had bits in it. And the bits might have been biscuit or nuts. I can't you can, remember. You can still buy feasts. You can oh, buy mint feasts as well, which are the ultimate. Mint feasts. Just think about that. No, okay, uh, may, may I tell an anecdote about a mm. feast at this point in time? I'm not sure whether to interrupt your top three. But Do some go. years ago, my dad is often quite grumpy about most things most of the mm. time. But he has, oft, he has random fits of good nature. And we were we were driving in the battle area once. I think we were going to my granddad's. It was on a Saturday. It's unusual for me and my dad to be going to my granddad's without my mum on a Saturday. But some reason why we were. So we were driving around, and we drove past a man who was walk a youngish man who was walking with a petrol can and a piece of wood. And my dad, for some reason that I did not understand, pulled over and asked if he was all right, which is not usually what my dad would do. And it turned out this man's car had run out of petrol. He was walking. Walking to a garage, which was some some way away, because he was the piece of wood was to do with a rabbit hutch that he was trying to get for his daughter. And my dad, because I was not very old at the time, mm. took sympathy on him and drove him to the petrol station. And the petrol station, which is still going in in in, in battle, is very very old fashioned. They sell cycles as well, and they have one of those old fashioned racks where they sell sweets from. And he came, the man came out and thanked my dad very much. And he bought me a feast. He said, "I've bought oh. a lolly for your little girl to say." thank you very much and every time I think of mint please I think I wonder what became of that man and his daughter and his rabbit hutch and because we got him back to the car safely but um yeah whenever I think of Fiso, I always think of my dad's uncharacteristic fit of <laughs> kindness and uh, and that man's kind which I then benefited from Wolf's Feast they're very, very filling it's like a mm. mini meal in it itself. is if, if I know I'm not going to eat for a few hours I do mm. quite often have a feast and it, it, it lives up to the name the clue is in the title absolutely slightly sickly but in a very enjoyable Way. Yeah, my number one in the uh, retro ice lollies, um, yeah, Lions Made had the acceptable 
Mivy brand. Yes, but I quite liked Mivy's actually. Mivy's were okay, but Walls had the hugely superior strawberry split. Yes. And, um, Walls delicious ice cream with a strawberry lolly coating, and this was mm. this was like the Nirvana of ice cream. It's like ambrosia from. I, I, I'm assuming you you mean the theoretical concept and not the uh, the Seattle based grunge trio from mid nineties. Indeed, no no Kurt Cobain reference mm. meant meant there. No. Um, the, the initial burst of strawberry lolly, it kind of quenched your thirst. And then the captivating walls ice cream inside, it, it was like winning the lottery twice in a way because you had the lolly and then the ice cream inside. And, and oh, But Lions made, they did have an attractive pineapple mivy, which was much tastier mm, than it Yes, that's true, it. actually. Pineapple things usually are, by mm, But it was always put in the shade by the all-conquering Wall's Strawberry Split, number one of the all-time in the 1960s ice cream charts. Indeed. Well, I can do my own top three, but before that, as ever, I'm, he's getting a lot of publicity from me this week, but I defer to Stephen Bush from the New Statesman, who, YouGov, the, um, the the polling company, they often show research. I think I'm on one of their panels, where occasionally you get really random um, surveys, and from which they can, you know, they, you know, oh, if you'll vote Conservative, you really like Mrs. Brown's boys. You get asked the most random of questions. <laughs> And this week they tweeted, um, what is Britain's favourite ice lolly? Here are the top five. Hmm. So going from bottom to top. Feast, 6%. Uh, Twister, 7%. We will return to Twisters in a minute. Hmm. Solero, 8%, which is um, another ice cream-based lolly, largely. Again, very filling, very filling. Yeah, absolutely. Fab, 8%, which is is the the, the three-layered lolly, which has got hundreds and thousands of chocolate on the top. And Britain's favourite ice lolly, 28% of correspondents named a Magnum as their favourite ice lolly, which, again, has ice cream. Stephen Bush is commenting, this is I feel is definitive. What is wrong with this country? Only two of these are ice lollies. So to pick up your point earlier, mm. yes, I'm I'm going to go. I'm going to try and stick to ice lollies in my top three. Okay. These are all walls. I think again, yeah. my number three Superior. absolute thing, which I I would you know I I adored when I was younger. Um, something called a lemonade sparkle. Oh, I it was a bit like an orange. Yes. It's a bit like our, our sort of orange, our orange orange we talk about. It's a lemonade. Mm. So even then, something in me knew that that you know the orange holiday would not last forever, and I would have mm. to find an equivalent. And they were pretty cheap. I think I remember paying twenty p for one once, mm. which is why I think partly became my favourite. Because if I whined for a nice lolly, it was easier <laughs> to economically sell the case for a lemonade sparkle than it was for other things. So so and they and I think like all good ice lollies, all proper ice lollies, they had a joke on the. Uh, on the on the uh, on the stick. The well. joke on the stick. I've yeah, forgotten absolutely. about. Absolutely. As 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 we as, as we used to tell jokes when we were younger. Uh, what's black and white and red all over? I don't know. I'll tell you when I finished eating the lolly. As most of our jokes <laughs> were when we were younger. So so I quite. So lemonade sparkles at number three. The aforementioned twister at number two, oh, uh, which is sort of. I don't know if it's ice cream or not, really. It's it it, it it's this a twister is a green and green and white sort of twisted lolly that mm. goes up a stick. Sort and of I, unidentified I, substance, really. It is, and and mm. actually, uh, because I grew up in quote unquote Thatcher's Britain, where Mister Whitty was king, <laughs> otherwise known as basically sort of vague animal fat that was made into ice cream. I I you know I can eat I can eat that kind of rubbish till the cows mm. come home. For me, that is that is my sort of rubbish. So so I um so I will. I will 
put that at number two. Number one, I would say Zap, but we've already talked about that. So I'm going to apply the Beatles principle here, which is when you ask people what their favourite group is, you go, well, you don't count the Beatles because they're everyone's favourite group. So so, so the Zap and the Beatles of Ice Lonnie's here. I, I, again, there is an economic case behind these and a social case as well. I am a big fan. Number one, Mini Milks is my favourite Ice Lonnie. Gosh, that's come from left field. There. It hasn't gosh. it. But part of the reason that I like Mini Milks um, is is that they are again extremely cheap they used to be about 20 pence each by and large and when mm. i was at sixth form college we had a teacher who again he, he had similarities to my dad in that he was quite low-key most of the time but occasionally he would have fits of being kind of generous mm. and i remember i say being generous he said to me when we were it was coming up to exams and he said to me when we had a we had a lesson we had a double lesson so we had a break halfway through and he said oh it's really hot today juliet why don't you go to the corner shop and buy us all some ice cream here's some money oh thank you very much my so I took some money and there were about 10 of us in this group, I think. And I got around the corner and as I was walking to the shop, I realised he'd given me the princely sum of two pounds to buy ice cream for <laughs> 10 people. Um, and I bought a box of mini milks because I could, that was what I could, that was on budget. And we all, <laughs> we all had the they're coming, chocolate, strawberry or vanilla. So, you know, there's something for everyone. If you don't like those, I'll just go away. I'm, I'm, I don't have any energy for your tedium. So, 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 and everyone found one that they liked. And this week at work, it's been mentally hot in our office. We don't have air conditioning. It's a 1920s converted detached house so it is it is warm frankly and stifling and people have taken it in turns to go and buy ice creams for their colleagues and uh, someone brought some fabs in the other day they were excellent i would you know fab was very unfortunate not to make the top three mm. but um but mini milks for me are communal lollies because if everyone mm. wants to buy ice cream for everyone else they're always the thing that everyone can afford and the, the box of mini milks that sits in our freezer has been has been re- replenished frequently but it always has to be replenished because no one can resist a mini milk in my experience I, I, you know you mentioned it there i do like a mr whippy but i didn't i didn't put uh, mr whippy in my top three because we weren't allowed to go to the ice cream van when oh, I was little. I'm, I'm sorry for your loss oh dear it still affects me today um yeah, well ne- once we eventually have breakfast at the Wolsey, maybe <laughs> maybe we can top it off with a delightful with a mr. video of a mr whippy that would be that would be living as they say hashtag the dream wouldn't it it would. Last weekend, I went to a small music festival in the Surrey Hills. But which do you prefer, the relaxed local outdoor gig or the razzmatazz of Download at Donington, Round Hay in Leeds? <laughs> yes, I'm a regular at Download, or obviously. The, or the summer series in High Park. That's next after the Isley Brothers. Stay to the right 
disagree with Tony Blackburn when it comes to soul music, mm. but it jars when he cuts the Isley Brothers' um, summer breeze uh, long before the fade, because he says, quote, the guitar goes on a bit, and I oh always... Oh dear, that's, a, that's, un- that's an unusual I error know. for Mr Blackburn, of whom uh, I'm very fond. I, I weep as I hear Ernie Isley's exquisite guitar faded out before its time. This is the single immediately before Summer Breeze from their outstanding album from 1973, 3 Plus 3. That's the Isley Brothers and the Highways of My Life. There's nothing bad on that album, is there, really? It's, it's super. I always forget about it, so thank you for the reminder. Nothing bad on that album. I think, let's, let me think of the top of my head. That Lady... Uh, don't let me be lonely tonight. Listen to the music, Summer Breeze, as you say, it's all there. Everyone, a winner. Jules, as you know, we've discussed it here. I've become a bit fed up with the big outdoor festivals and gigs, especially those in Hyde Park, where, quite understandably, security mm. is very stringent, understand why. But it does mean at Hyde Park gigs, certainly, you can't take in any sort of chair, no picnic stuff, in fact, no food or drink at all. You have to park miles away and walk mm. for half an hour to get there or squeeze onto the packed and overheated tube or subway system. And then there are people checking your pockets in your bag and people telling you where you're allowed to go and not allowed to go. Notices forbidding you to, to enter certain areas. Last Sunday, I went to the Albury Music Festival, a local event in the Surrey Hills. Twelve bands on. Uh, the event ran from 2pm to 8pm. And I estimate there was about 500 people mm, there. Mm. Uh, there. Here's the thing. 
There was parking right there. You could bring folding chairs in for a nice sit-down. You could bring a picnic, any food or drink you wanted. There were no, literally no stewards or bouncers. You could go Ooh, anywhere Oh, yeah, like. lovely. Some of the bands finished their set and meandered into the audience to watch the next act. There were families, people were smiling and wandering round, all in a lovely field, big field surrounded by trees. So faced with the choice next summer of going to Hyde Park or the Albury Music Festival, I'm heading for the Surrey Hills. Now, is there any merit at all to these big Hyde Parky type of events anymore, Jules? Well, it, I think it depends who you're going to see and what you want to see. And, I mean, like you, I love those small music, uh, sort of more locally festival type events. I think they're great. Um, but it depends what bands you want to see. So, oh. so, so my last large open-air gig I went to see was Brian Wilson uh, for my birthday two years ago, I think it would have been. Hmm. Um, I was thinking as, about that. Yes, that was part of my... Yeah, that was that was part of my what felt like never-ending birthday birthday weekend celebrations <laughs> where I met and that weekend I saw three gigs in four days we mm. saw Eleanor Friedberger upstairs at the Delaware Pavilion in a cafe bar where there are about 50 people um and then I saw Jeffrey Lewis um and and Lost Bolts um in a now sadly defunct venue in Hastings called the Observer Building which is a, a, a sort of converted it used to be a newspaper print works and that was excellent and again there were about maybe 100 150 people there and that was really cool and then we went to see Brian Wilson um as part of this Together the People Open Air Festival in Brighton and we didn't go to the rest of the festival the lineup was quite good I think but we basically only went to see Brian Wilson and it was open air in Preston Park in Brighton and there was a sort of fun fair and there were lots of food stalls and things we went out for dinner somewhere beforehand so we didn't really get involved in the no you can't take drinking type thing although I think we were allowed to take some some, some pop in pouring but rain if I remember it was absolutely belting it down to the point where afterwards when I came home removed my clothes and dried myself out I effectively lost two and a half stone in about half an hour I think because I'd absorbed so much water and um, and yeah so that aspect of it was, was was an ideal but I went and we had a lovely time I mean I was in tears for 60% of the gig but in a good way because we were watching Brian Wilson do pet sounds it was very poignant and it wasn't clear it was either officially billed as the last tour or even if it wasn't we all knew i think that he wasn't going to go on for much longer realistically and that's why i would be i'm willing to put up with a certain amount of rubbish from you know oh you can't take that in or you can't take a chair in all security is telling you that you shouldn't walk in that direction i can put up with that if I'm seeing somebody who I don't think I'm going to see again, if you see what I mean, either because they're packing in or because realistically I'm not going to pay 100 quid to watch them again. That's sort of not that I paid 100 quid for, for, for to see Brian Wilson, but yeah, that sort of thing. That's so, so in that instance, I would be willing to brave an open air gig. But in terms of going for an enjoyable day out, if I'm not that bothered about who I am seeing, then I would much rather just go to a local sort of eventy type thing. They have one in the park around the corner from where I lived the other day, and I did didn't go but i could hear them i can hear them all playing and then sort of belting the songs out people are having a great time and i think well it depends 
if you were going to the festival for the music, or then I would go to one of those open air things and just put up with all the dr- the dreary, you know, the the drudgery of of, of, of you know the tedium of not of, of having to pay six pounds for a substandard pretzel, etc. But if if I if I you know if I want to go just to have a day out and catch up with some friends and maybe hear a bit of music, then those local things are really good. I was involved. I say involved. I, I was DJing at something called Beatwave Festival last weekend in Hastings, which was really well attended by people in Hastings, but people that came in basically what it was was 14 bands across three days um, and this wasn't an open air thing but i think mm. it's of some relevance here because it is a local mm. thing and it took place in a venue called the palace in hastings on the seafront um and also my friends that run wound flutter records had djs all day as well so it was djs and bands constantly all weekend and it was all free so you didn't have to pay to watch anything. Admittedly, it was in a pub, so you obviously had to pay for drinks. But the pub served food as well. But it was it was great. It was really good that you got to hear and see all these all these great bands, and some of them really were superb. There was a a bunch of three teenagers who played on Sunday afternoon. They had the opening start on Sunday afternoon, which you might say is Graveyard. Um, and they were called The Cretins, which is quite a good name <laughs> for a band. And they were 16, 17 and 18, respectively. And they played things like Misery Lou by Dick Dow, you know, proper hard surf mm. stuff. And they, they were terrific. So they are my top tip that I have seen. And also the um, uh, the Mirage men who all dressed up as Tutankhamun in those kind of glittery sort of headdresses. I mean, it was, it was great. So I think there is a place for large open air gigs although i think it is like you say the tedium around them and the unscrupulous behavior of promoters that makes them makes them irritating um but they are they do serve a purpose for example if that is the only way in which i'm going to get to see i mean grace jones for example or somebody mm. like that but then in a way you could say that that points to the cynicism of the organizers that they are taking advantage of people like me going okay i will put up with this because i really really want to see al green or whoever mm that i won't see again that 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 is you know the dark side of that sort of thing and that's why we should try and support i guess those local events which don't necessarily have big name headliners because it is music that's good and and you know and and you can go and watch them for free they have stuff on in the stadium in hastings which is excellent rather like your um weekend uh, last weekend the albury music festival was free as well which was it's right another yeah of course one of the f- uh, the further negatives about the big gigs and festivals is because the sound has a greater distance to travel and because of the well thank goodness control over decibel levels now mm. if you're more than say 100 meters maybe even 50 meters from the stage which most people are you can hear what's going on immediately around yeah. you which in the modern era means the scourge of the group of friends who turn up to major gigs these days just to have a few drinks and chatter with each other ignoring the act on stage it's far more common uh, than anyone who doesn't go to these gigs you know might might realize a few years ago actually um some friends of mine had to keep moving at a Springsteen gig in Hyde Park because people kept chattering and only this month earlier this month um some other friends went to see Roger Waters in Hyde Park and they told oh, yes. me the, the gig, the experience was actually ruined for them by the incessant talking and loud shouting of people all around them You know, mm. a delicate moment in Roger Waters playing the wall and someone going Bill, Bill, over here mate, over, you know all that oh, kind of thing gosh, yeah. I, w- I would really have loved to have um, gone to the Paul Simon James Taylor Bonnie Raitt gig in Hyde Park a, couple, a week or two ago but you know the, the as, I, as I've said already, I risk of repeating myself, no chairs, standing for six hours, the parking, the no food or drink thing, the potential favour of my fellow men, couldn't face it. Mm, 
and that's that's the issue, isn't it, really? And actually, in a way, ironically, when you go to those local festivals, I often find that at local festivals, sort of parents that are with their kids and stuff, they are often more respectful of the bands on stage and sort of telling children to be quiet and that sort of thing than so-called music fans are at big prestige gigs. That's right, and that was exactly again the experience last weekend. People were just respectful, and when the bands were on, people were dancing around at the front of the stage. But you know, there was no. But that is enjoyment of music. I like that. Yeah, that's, that's fine. That's, oh, that's yes, that was, into that was the spirit of it. Yeah, lovely. Now, assuming you're not spending your week tracking down um, retro ice lollies, where might we find you in the week ahead? Well, if anyone can help me with my uh, with my zap, zap my zap issues, that would be great. This afternoon, weather permitting down here, and I can't believe we're having to use the phrase weather permitting. I, um, I am going to the uh, West Street sort of afternoon fate slash book launch in Hastings Old Town. So if anyone happens to be listening to this and happens to be in the local area, do go to that. But in the meantime, I am go- it is the monthly Birth of the Cool jazz night in Hastings on uh, on yeah. Thursday evening. Um, I won't be DJing at this one, but if you do like listening to jazz music in very nice surroundings, it has to be said, do go to the basement bar of the White Rock Hotel in Hastings on Thursday evening from 7 until 11. Um, and then I believe I'm probably doing a podcast with you next weekend. I think that's the plan. Oh, how lovely. I'm already mm. looking forward oh, to it. Oh, also doing and I need yeah me too as always but I need to actually plug the thing I meant to plug in this which is Indie Wonderland oh, 8 course. to 10 p.m. barricaderadio.com um Wednesdays indie alt rock miscellaneous not to be missed by mm. any account thanks to you for listening and thanks to executive producers Rona and Hilly and over to the west coast of the USA to play us out, Jules. Absolutely, yes. Very, very keen on this band. Um, I went to see them uh, two or three years ago, maybe two years ago, um, with a friend of mine upstairs at the Hope and Ruin in Brighton, and they were excellent. And they were this sort of all-female surf band. Really enjoyed them. And and I didn't think any more of them. I have to be honest. It was a pity because I really liked them. But you know, I'd see a lot of bands. And then uh, regular listeners will know I've recently got a new car that's got a DAB radio. I listen to Six Music all the time as a result. And this was played. It's been picked up by Six Music and played when I was driving my car the other day. And I really liked it. And it seemed to fit the weather perfectly at that time. There's sort of sultry summer that we're experiencing over here. Um, th- this is great. So hopefully we'll have a bit more sun so that you can enjoy this at its, at its peak if you haven't heard it already. Um, the these are a band called La Luz and from the album Floating Features this is California Finally.
You have been listening to a DACA Media Production.